0: Hey everyone, my name is Brad Siegel. I'm a photographer and an activist. Welcome to Red Lens, my political photography podcast where I bring those two worlds together. Thanks for listening to my podcast, where I have in depth conversations with people who document and participate in radical social movements. With Red Lens, I hope to bring you conversations with interesting people and some new insights into both photography and politics. Welcome to this fifth episode of Red Lens. On this episode, I talk with Kim DeFranco. Kim has been doing movement photography longer than anyone I know. Since the 1990s, she's been at so many protests with her camera, I can't even begin to keep track. She's been at and documented thousands of small protests with just a few people there. And she's also been there at a lot of big and historic political moments, too. And we'll hear about some of those in this interview. I'd like to encourage anyone listening to touch base if you have any comments, praise, or criticisms. You can email me at theredlenspodcast at gmail.com. So with that, sit back and enjoy this episode's interview. Hello, everyone. We're back again with Red Lens Podcast, and I'm here today with Kim DeFranco. Why don't we just start out with uh, learning a little bit about you? Like, who are you? Where Where are you from? What do you do? All right. Well, uh, my name is
1: Kim DeFranco. I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, moved out into the great Twin Cities area in like 91, late 91, 92. Mm-hmm. So ever since. Uh, actually, I really loved... The twin cities for many different reasons. Uh, actually, one of the biggest things is that there was such a great uh, political, the activist community. Even though there's different trends and stuff, they all worked well together. So I really uh, found that very appealing. And so, of course, I knew folks from the College Progressive Student Network days, which we'll get into, I'm sure later. Yeah. So. Able to get to know people from different cities uh, and the twin cities, even though you have the illusion that you have lots of things to do because you have, you're by two cities. The summers are great, but the winters, I'm not a winter person, but, but I'm still here. So for <laughs> that, so, uh, and right now I'm just living in St. Paul because St. Paul actually reminds me of Cleveland. It's the industrial kind of residential town feeling. So,
0: Yeah. As you know, I love St. Paul, too. And so many people just think of Minneapolis when they think of the Twin Cities. But St. Paul, we're we're the underrated city. That is correct. (laughs) Best city. (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah, you mentioned the Progressive Student Network uh, that you were involved with with activism. I'd love to hear a little bit about your history of activism. That was, I think, when we first met was... Through the progressive mm-hmm. student network yeah. and yeah why don't you talk about that is that what the first activism you got involved in or how did you get involved in sort of political stuff
1: so i guess it was i guess it's like the tr- first true kind of political activism organizing I felt like i was a uh, political person it could be for my working class background um just and also just It's kind of weird saying like you're born into it, but I sort of felt that way because I always wanted like the world to be a better place, Mm -hmm. everybody. So in high school, uh, there's not much going on, but I do remember going to like a nuclear disarmament conference. I want to say Sane Freeze, but um, I can't really remember because it's been that long ago. So uh, political uh, topics always uh, really uh, intrigued me. Uh, but of course, going to Kent State University has the background of the May Fourth, nineteen seventy. But I also had friends that were going there, and that was kind. It was close to home, far away enough from home, and uh, so that's they had the May Fourth task force there. And before I actually went to the college, I started in nine,
0: 18, 18, 1983.
1: eighteen nineteen eighty three. We're old, but we're not that old. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, But I heard well through the Progressive Student Network actually started at Kent State Uh, back in 1980 when Reagan got elected. All these kind of um, activist groups they came together at Kent State to try to figure out like how to organize against this uh, president, and they came up with the Progressive Student Network. uh, On different chapters from different colleges, they call themselves either Progressive Student Organization League. I can't remember uh, the other ones or. But anyways, it yeah, was...
0: I, I was in the Progressive mm-hmm. Student Union, so there were some there of those, we go. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was, as we know,
1: it was uh, kind of organizing around the uh, anti-apartheid movement of South Africa. So that's where I really first got involved, uh, actually in 87. So I was still hanging around Kent when I graduated. So that's where I did a lot of more political work during that time, or started.
0: So you mentioned Kent State, and... You referred to 1970 when I assume you're talking about when there were students killed by the National Guard doing anti-war yep. protests there. And, and so then you were involved, if I remember correctly, in 1990, when there was a 20 year commemoration of Kent State and Jackson State, where there was another massacre of student activists, mostly black student activists who, of course, yes. aren't as remembered as much. But so you were one of the main people involved in organizing that 20 year commemoration, right?
1: And it's right. Good memory, Brad. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was actually, and so that was really fun. Uh, it was fun they were trying to put up a uh, they were putting a memorial for the four students that were shot and killed and um, some of the other ones that were uh, wounded and I guess well it's always a controversy because why honor political activists Uh, but they're able to get a memorial and I think there was kind of a struggle on how to memorialize the soldiers that were killed in Vietnam Uh, so they did that but we wanted to call a student movement conference to bring some of the past uh, activists from the 60s and doing a conference with the newer folks at that time being politically active and just bringing out the history and the issues back at that time and issues that were present day too if I can remember correctly but yeah it was a it was a great conference um, uh, that we were able to host.
0: Yeah, I I didn't make it to that. Unfortunately, that was right around when I was getting involved in the Progressive Student Network. And I don't remember why, but we didn't end up making it to that. But then I was at most of the meetings the few years after that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so you were involved in in that. And then you said you moved to the Twin Cities in the early 90s. So that must have been pretty soon after that, right? And then what did you get involved with in the Twin Cities?
1: Um, Yeah, it was, uh, I remember August of 91, um, I got involved with the Welfare Rights Committee. So that was Formerly, just starting, uh, it was part of the Up and Out of Poverty grouping, and they had an umbrella of like homeless activism and what we started uh, for more domestic kind of issues around welfare uh, involved, uh, and we we lasted we uh, almost thirty years, so we really did um, a good job organizing. It was ma- it was woman led, and it was ma- it was for low-income uh communities so we were able to actually since saint paul is the capital we were able to effectively stop really horrible legislation at the capital um propose our own and just kind of keep the biggest thing is to get folks who feel like they're just uh they don't have power but to come together um and know that we have Uh, power in numbers and strength and so i've heard throughout the years for people who weren't involved or heard of us that there was a lot of like small victories that people uh women with children uh were able to their lives weren't as horrible it was still horrible because of course the democrats uh never wanted to do the correct thing to make lives better and the republicans just wanted to keep punishing mainly single women with kids to punish them mainly to punish them mainly for having kids without them so that was my political kind of underlining tone of that
0: so you were involved in the welfare rights committee from around when it started, you said, until until the, the whole time the group existed, right?
1: Yes. Uh, throughout the years, especially when Clinton ran on the campaign of ending welfare as we know it. So that really made it uh, tough for all families um, because they had like work requirements to do. And plus you're living day to day in crisis from one crisis to another. It's, it's also a big barrier of trying to keep organizing to fight for better living conditions. Um, So eventually folks, uh, for many different reasons, just couldn't come around and it was hard to sustain. And so then uh, there was other issues in the Twin Cities that were coming around. So we just had to organize in different other areas.
0: So I remember you mentioned when President Clinton... Ended welfare as we know it, quote unquote. I think that was 1996 or so. I was living, or 97 maybe. I was living in New York at the time and was involved in, briefly involved in the student group uh, that was led by women on welfare who were students at the public university of New York. And it was very powerful organizing. But there were groups like that all over the country right when that was happening, like around 1996. But the Welfare Rights Committee here kept going for like decades longer, fighting it out at the state legislature every year, like you said. Mm-hmm. It was really impressive. And you were taking pictures at like everything almost, right? That the welfare rights mm-hmm. Party did, right?
1: Yep. Uh, yeah, because uh, we, when we organized to do some action, we always wanted to do something big and visual. So uh, that makes photography even more exciting. Mm-hmm. And actually when we would do those, the I would talk to some of the news camera people and they loved coming to our demos at the Capitol because we were... <laughs> to boast to toot our own horn we were like the most exciting thing at the Capitol during that time um, because of the visuals now like of course if you're doing news film that you want something visual instead of just people talking so we actually did a tent encampment on the stairs and then we let's see what else did we do uh, we'd also go to the governor's mansion and when palenty was the Republican uh, Tim palenty was in power uh, it was Funner doing things against them because I got really feathers ruffled a lot more. Um, we called him uh, King Palenti, and uh, one Thanksgiving we uh, did a an empty plates kind of demonstration where we bought empty paper plates to leave messages, and we said no uh, no thanks Thanksgiving because uh, he just likes to keep cutting people off of welfare um, and then but do anything they can to uh, strip away all the monies that people needed we had when Jesse Ventura was governor we uh sent him messages uh we sent diapers clean diapers but <laughs> uh. clean diapers uh, wrote messages and to deliver deliver to uh Ventura's office so no matter who was governor or who was elected we would always go back we would actually shame the democrats that wouldn't go along uh with our program to help everybody uh especially after Clinton passed They made um, AFDC, the Aided Dependent Families and Children. Uh, They changed it to TANF, called Temporary Assistance to Needy Families. And it was uh, block grants. So block grants would, a certain amount of money would go to each state and the state could decide whatever they want to do with it. So when the Democrats went along with it, uh, because they came up with time limits, uh, they came up with like really uh, punishing like sanctions or uh, they cut back a lot of like better programs. So we decided that the, all the Democrats that went along with them with that, uh, we just made a flyer saying that your senator is like uh, just really harmful to families and this is what they did. So we went to the neighborhoods and just leafleted around uh, to get their constituents mad at them. So, uh, but rightfully so, because the Democrats are supposed to be for the people on the people side making lives better, but they often do not do that at all. And then they go along with the Republicans for some strange reason, because they're afraid of being attacked and, and they don't, they want to be attacked by the Republicans by, you know, helping families. They were just that, but, uh, but yeah, we came up with like really uh, a lot of actions. Uh, We actually did a a homeless encampments with cardboard boxes and street names and just went into the Capitol in front of one one of their chambers where they all meet, uh, and just laid it out on the ground so they had to walk by it. So
0: I think I remember that one. Yeah, that. Mm-hmm. And like you said, at the Capitol, it's like a really boring place. Mostly people <laughs> with suits walking by and talking on their phones. And then the Welfare Rights Committee would show up with a tent city, or uh, I remember there was like a huge banner, like just draped down from the, from the <laughs> upstairs, upstairs mezzanine or whatever. Like mm-hmm. it, it was just massive or things like that. Yeah. The visuals. Mm-hmm. And, and so you were able to capture all of that. That's cool. Yeah.
1: Well, that big banner that you're talking about was uh, 10, I believe it was 10 king sized sheets that Linden sewed all together. And we painted tax the rich, no cuts to poor and working people. And it was like a, lit- a literal, two story banner. So nice. unfortunately, when our office caught on fire from a church, it went up in smoke, but we have pictures and that's why it's important to always take photos. Uh, so that was yeah. really impressive.
0: So, Yeah, before we move on, also one thing that really impressed me about the Welfare Rights Committee I can remember is That it seemed like y'all had really deep bases among people on welfare and people in public housing and you would like Mm -hmm. do the work to go out and you know so many people it's so easy just to put up a facebook event or just organize on the internet but it seems like y'all really did the work of actually having a real base of people in public housing and can you just talk a little bit about like how what you did to do that uh when we had big protests at the capitol we were able to rent buses Because also uh,
1: many years ago, people uh, were living in, as they call projects, um, and uh, low-income kind of concentrated neighborhoods. So that was actually a big source of getting people. And we would go to the community centers, have these meetings to let them know not only their rights, what's going on, but what they can do to fight back. So that just made it easier. So we were able to bring more people to the Capitol. So that was the other kind of uh, caveat to our committee is that we were the only group that brought uh, over the years, like literally tens of thousands, um, lots and lots of people to not only tell their stories, but to uh, put a face to where the politicians want to cut. So it makes them harder to do their cuts when they're seeing, seeing uh, people. They've done it anyways, but uh, we were able to kind of, put the fear of not only long-term folks, but women, put the fear of women into them because they were really uh, it was interesting to watch throughout the years, the reactions of different uh, politicians and how they responded to us. You'll say we got followed a lot by the state troopers that they had there, but, you know, it was kind of a badge of honor. So, yeah, so we were able to go in cause we had volunteers. Uh, we had, and members, to go to these uh, to different communities to flyer and talk to people. So we did a lot of community meetings, too, because really the one-on-one talking to people, really, it's more personable and it makes it more real for folks that want to get involved because, you know, and it was way before Facebook. So we definitely had to do the one-on-one, get phone numbers, call them, do petitioning. So it was really, uh, it was more it was, I guess it was more intense, organizing back then um and it still is today depending on what you're doing because depending on what uh, where people are coming from you'd have to do the same thing so but one-on-one conversations are like most important
0: yeah I think that's still true for organizing for Mm -hmm. sure yeah so yeah now let's bring it back into photography I guess so when did you first get interested and start doing photography and when did you start taking pictures at protests and political events
1: um, I always was really interested in photography. My dad took photos. and as We were all just hobbyists, but can't say when I really got into it or when I started, uh, but it always seems like I had a camera in hand. I think it's just the joy of taking pictures. That sounds really corny, but, um, and capturing it, I think capturing a moment and that way you can look back on it. Um, that's probably really exciting. And I guess it's like a painting. You can look at a uh, photograph and like see lots of different things. And depending on how how you're feeling inside, you've got a different kind of uh, reaction to it. So I just took photos like family, friends, dogs, cats, uh, whatever I can find. But then getting into or going to college uh, leaves you more open to like taking lots of different photos. And going to demonstrations, well, there's plenty of opportunity to take photos of people and signs. And then I just like seeing the reactions in my photos. I do a lot of candid photos. So I may just take hundreds and not either I'll pay attention or I won't pay attention. But looking after it, then I can see more things into it. So that really is exciting for me.
0: Yeah, that's really true. When you're taking a photo, sometimes you don't even see everything that you're taking the photo of until afterwards. You're like, oh, yeah, there's that other stuff going on in the background. I didn't even notice, you know.
1: Yep. Yep. Uh, but uh, candid photos are fun. So I try to do I, I do that a lot. Uh, and then actually, when friends notice, I take photos, they make pose. I just tell them to stop it and just <laughs> carry on like they're whatever they're doing. But um, yeah, so candid shots are fun.
0: So you do a lot of candid, you you do some posed ones too?
1: Oh yeah. So after many years of taking protest photos and uh, trying to get that one magic shot, (laughs) something that really doesn't work. And then I'm just, I just have to tell people to pose and like do a group shot, which I think is cheating if you're doing like a protest because it's supposed to be spontaneous, but sometimes you just need a good group shot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think they're both valid and both good, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if you just, like, ask people to, like, oh, just do your fist up and then they'll do it, you know. I mean, if you're a Mm -hmm. journalist, then, you know, maybe that's considered cheating, you know, if you're a journalist and you're posing (laughs) people. But but it also depends, you know. I I think it's a a little bit of a fuzzy line. Well, speaking
1: of posing people,
0: um, which just
1: reminded me, I got to... Documents the oh, I'm gonna have to remember, but it was the Windows Factory. Oh, I don't remember the oh, name Re-
0: Republic Windows and Doors.
1: Thank you. Yes, that one. Um, and uh, bonus points if you remember the,
0: the year of that, <laughs> it was when the economic you know, crash happened, like so 2008 or 2009, oh. something like that, or maybe right, yeah, right around then.
1: Yep. Um, yeah. That's was, right. You
0: were down there in the factory. Yep. They like did a sit-in and took over the factory in Chicago, right?
1: Yep. It was really exciting. Um, and then you just feel kind of weird being in like someone's like personal kind of struggle. But uh, so they won in the end. Um, it it was. Uh, yep. They took over the factory. Uh, the bosses are being stupid. Um, they. I think they sold the company. They were selling the company and promised. The workers that they would get benefits and stuff and of course they said no and that's why they took it over um not only did they take it over and win but they actually like formed their own kind of co-op work there but uh it reminded me when after they won everyone was really cheering and i was there taking photos i was like there most of the time so the national media showed up politicians showed up it's a great time and so when i was taking photos of them they were in a group and i said raise your fists because you won (laughs) and they raised their fists. it was my shot (laughs) Uh it it made it to fight back however those sleazy commercial people reprinted i say my photo because of my idea in their national media so i mean it got around which is great but you know then you're just like but that was my photo should get credit
0: for that (laughs) like you you set up the shot and everything and then they (laughs) just like click it's ours yep yep so uh yeah that that was was a that was a really powerful (laughs) struggle i remember they started the the chant the banks got bailed out we got sold out and it was really like the precursor to occupy the whole occupy movement because they occupied their factory and then what was it like two or three years later everyone occupied everywhere with the same slogans so they were really the first to fight back
1: and I got to uh, be a part, they had a demonstration too in Chicago. So that was fun being a part of that too. So I felt really honored
0: being a part of that struggle. I remember you made some prints of some of those too, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I, yep. I think I still have one somewhere. I'll have to find it.
1: Uh, and if not, I'm sure I can print more once I find, find them again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's always the struggle, right? <laughs> so yeah. What, have you had obstacles in being a photographer? Um, a couple, mainly my height.
1: you know, I'm just a a mere four, eight and a half feet tall. But, uh, so I mean that does come into play a lot or depending on where I'm at, I also have the height privilege where I can get in front of people because they'll see me and they'll be like, all right, you can go, because they can still see over me. Uh, But, uh, so I remember uh, Phil talking about this on your podcast where, all the photographers crowd the speakers and they all stand in front of the banner so it's really hard when you're trying to get um trying to get up close too because everybody wants the shots and no one's actually the photographers I know and the people that are there are pretty respectful of letting people go but it's just really hard because we're all crowded and if truly if people just stand back then we can all do what we need to do so uh after then I just kind of just go in the back and take some photos of the crowd. But it, it is disheartening for me, for me personally, because it, it'd be nice to get like one or two shots and like step back. That's what, you know, other folks should be doing. Yeah.
0: So, um, so your height can sometimes be an advantage, but most <laughs> often not so much. <laughs>
1: That is true. And I really should get one of those tripod. I do have a tripod somewhere, but a stick to hold up my camera. <clears throat> but I have really gotten that either. And I'm not bold enough to ask to jump on like the sound truck. The photographers do. <clears throat> but uh, someday I'll be bold, be more bold. But uh, but until then, I mean, I do get good shots, uh, but sometimes it's it's a struggle. Uh, but of course, like the main struggle is time. And I'm not an independent billionaire, so I have to work to uh. live. <laughs> but I've been trying to win lottery, but uh, it hasn't happened. But uh, mainly t- <laughs> work and time. Um, sure. It's money because I look at lenses to buy better lenses, and it's just amazing how much lenses cost. So I haven't bought the really expensive lenses, but it would be nice. So perhaps I once I get... Uh, taking care of some of the financial stuff that I'm trying to get out of, uh, I should put more money into it. But if I put more money into it, that means I really should do something like what you've been doing. So sometime, but until then um, I've, uh, you know, I get good photos. So, and I'm not a professional or haven't done it like job wise. So I don't need to have those expensive lenses, but it sure would be nice.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they, they are really crazy expensive, though. It's true.
1: Yep. Well, I did invest in one of the lenses because uh, the other kind of internal struggle is always keeping up with your fellow photographers. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I've seen your photos and everybody else's photos, I'm like, uh, not that I'm jealous, but you know, are envious, but you know, it's a it, you've got really nice lenses. So I did decide to break down and buy one of them, um, which ends up being really nice because it's one of those. Close up. You can do a close. You don't have to be so close, and it it brings everything closer, and it blurs out the background. So I really, I really like that uh, lens. So thank you, Brad, for. Inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you know it's just I uh, also like the uh, not saying that I'm in a competition with anyone, but it's uh, also looking at like national photographers and like Annie Leibovitz. Um, I always wanted to be a rock star photographer too but it's more of like you really have to concentrate and make a decision to kind of put everything that you have into it so so
0: yeah for sure Mm -hmm. I I think especially in this day and age with social media it's so easy to just see other people's photos and be like oh I I suck you know my stuff is terrible what uh, you know it's so easy and that happens everybody everybody does that and so sometimes you just have to like put that social media stuff aside and look at the amazing work that you've done over the years that you know all Mm -hmm. of us have done over the years documenting things that otherwise would have never been documented.
1: All right. Well, that's also part of like the in- in- internal struggle of having confidence in your own work. I did join a like a black and white or a, like a co-op for film and photographers, uh, where they had a dark room for developing black and white photos. So that's fun. That was really fun. And then so I go in, I develop pictures of like my nieces and nephews, and I look over and somebody just developed this nice huge picture of the Taj Mahal. And- oh man! <laughs> and exotic items, and I'm like. All right. I guess I, I'm, I'm still good, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. but, yep. um, but no, I, I, I mean, I enjoy the, the work that I do, but you know, there's always that one, the, the grass is always greener.
0: Yeah, for sure. So mention going back, have you ever thought about putting your photos together from whether it's like the history of the welfare rights committee or other things that you've documented <laughs> to put them out to the world?
1: Yep. Well, that goes back to the obstacles. Um, I could save time and lots of other things to do and money. So, I I mean, I've always thought of that. I do have uh, I still have tons of pictures uh, digitally and like film wise. Uh, So perhaps one day when I get really motivated, it would be nice to do a book a book or just something to a scrap scrapbook, a book. Uh, So perhaps, yeah, I'll look through some of those uh, photos. Cause it, I mean, I've documented some really great events um, that it would be nice to put them all together. So that's on my list. Yeah.
0: Awesome. You should do it. It, You did have Mm -hmm. one picture used on the cover of a book, right?
1: Yes. Well, that was really exciting. Fightback editor called me uh, and said, this woman liked this photo that you did, and she wanted to put it out as a book cover. And that was really exciting because Fight Back newspaper is, uh, you know, one of those all-volunteer documenting, reporting on people's struggles, but you never think it's going to reach a big time. Uh, So there was this one particular photo uh, during the welfare rights days when the five-year time limit was coming. And so we made a clock. It was all paper mache kind of clock and a big hammer. So it was a picture of a couple of our members at the Capitol, like smashing the camera at the clock to say that we have to stop the time limits.
0: Hopefully not smashing your camera. That would not be good.
1: No. Sorry, not smashing the cameras. <laughs> the the five-year time limit clock we wanted to smash and got this big hammer. So that made it uh, the cover. Uh, the book is called, like, uh, I had no idea what she was using it for, but it was, uh, like, a research um, book, uh, and it was called, it's called Welfare in the United States, a history with documents, uh, from 1935 to 1996. Uh, so I got the cover and so I got the book. I also got paid, which was nice.
0: Oh, cool.
1: So I got the book and I looked at the cover and I'm like, where's my name? So I flipped over to the back and all the way at the bottom in like seven point font, <laughs> 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 uh, covered by Kim DeFranco. And I'm like, Look, I'm famous. So, it's still available on Amazon because I had to look it up so and I actually started reading the book uh, but I'm not a big reader but it's it talks about welfare from like the very beginnings and how actually the one that kind of really impressed me or the part I read is that during World War II, the men went off to war the women went into the workforce so then the war ended so how do we get women out of the workforce to have all these men come back to their jobs, and that was kind of like how they started it. They were giving women a stipend, um, and of course, excluding African American women. So, uh, so that's that's what I remember from the book. But it, you know, it goes up, which I'm sure will be part of Clinton's thing. Um, so it's a it's a good history, especially if people don't understand what welfare is all about because we still have a lot of misconceptions about it. Mm-hmm. So that was a, that was one of my claim to fame. So that's awesome. Yep. And then uh, actually, there was uh, another one during the housing. They were demolishing the projects because they wanted to not have a concentration of poverty. And this was back in the late 1990s. I'm sure.
0: Wh- which projects? I uh, like
1: all of them. There's like the North Side one. Um, actually, St. Paul still has theirs, but mainly the North Side. They wanted to kind of dispersed the concentration of poverty which makes its own issues but but it's also displacing people where they lived um so I took some photos of them demolishing the uh projects and our local newspaper which is no longer here I believe it's called the pulse they wanted
0: one of my photos for their cover so that was exciting so some local local Let's stuff i'd love to see those photos sometime because yeah those are the kinds of things where you're documenting the city as it's changing as it's being gentrified as you know poor people are being kicked out that's yeah. those, those photos are powerful especially looking at them 10 20 years later you know
1: mm-hmm. yeah um uh, we should do some kind of gathering to show those old photos of all of our stuff that would be quite an endeavor and it would make me actually organize stuff so
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) so you've had a lot of photos published over the years in fight back news you mentioned that that some of your photos have been published there like when did you start photographing the fight back news and you also write some articles for fight back too right
1: (laughs) yep uh whenever they started i don't remember dates but uh i mean it was uh, it was organized within the twin cities here it was a big project. And uh, I also wanted to be like a photo journalist because I do like reporting on items and taking photos. So this was a, I was able to do that. And I mainly, I did a lot of coverage during the welfare rights time just because we were there. Um, but I did go out and interview when state workers were on strike many years ago. And of course, uh, the Republic windows and doors photos made it into Fight Back. So yeah, I've done I. I haven't done a lot of writing since. Uh, every now and then, but it would be nice to get kind of get back in there. It's kind of nice to not only document pictures but document words. And the fight back editor likes my stuff, so that's good. As long as they still like what I write. And, um,
0: yeah, so I'd love to hear some more interesting moments from taking photos at protests over the years. Like, let's hear some fun stories. You know, one, th- one that I thought of where we were both in the streets, like running from tear gas and stuff, was the protests outside the Republican <laughs> National Convention in St. Paul in 2008.
1: Uh, yes. Um, that was actually, uh, well, then it was like two years of organizing uh, leading up to it, because we had many marches from the Capitol to downtown that kind of lead up to the actual march itself. That's right. So I didn't... Uh, well, the first day I got to be a marshal, so I was really sad I couldn't run around and take photos because there was some really great dy- dynamic photos with cops and ninja turtle outfits, the body armor that they were wearing. But I was able to get some. But the last day where we both were tactical, <laughs> uh, where people couldn't make it to downtown, but then they arrested the entire tactical team in the front. So that meant thousands of people were coming back. Um, So that was, uh, yeah, that was actually the funnest, like two years up until then, where you got to not only to organize, but then um, all the politics behind it, too. And it was also really great because uh, that's where all the activist groups work together. Um, And then we came up with this famous St. Paul Principles. That's right. A lot of people may have uh, different viewpoints on the different tactics and how to do things. But uh, we came together as an activist community to make sure that uh, none of our disputes or whatever we have it uh, would be displayed out in public, which really upset the newspaper people because they kept asking questions to kind of make us give up what other people were planning. But uh, we refused to play that game, uh, which actually. Uh, really helped in the years later when other uh, political stuff was happening, but it, I think it really made our city uh, quite unique in that way, and we brought other groups nationally together to work together. Um, so I, I think it was it was a really powerful four days in the Twin Cities. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. So I was able to uh, document some other uh, events going on. It was like four days of like nonstop items. So so that was that was good. And I think actually uh, the huge demos uh, was the uh, May Day's Immigrant Rights March. It was it 2006 at the state yeah, capitol. That's right. So I have this uh, affinity to the capitol stuff because of the last days. And I wanted like everybody to come to everyone should have come to the capitol to fight for low income folks and working people. But we were pretty much on our own. But uh, that day was really impressive to see the whole capitol lawn filled and up. The hill too was just massive amount of people, and it was great because it was uh, mainly Im- or, you know it was mostly immigrants, which is actually a really good thing to see in this country, having uh, folks come together. And then it was like that too after Trump got elected. It was the Women's March. I want to say maybe just as many. It sure seemed like it because it was just like an overload of people. So those were the nice two like days of getting not only chances to uh, photograph a lot of. A lot of people and how massive it was, uh, but just to make sure that people are fighting for like the the righteous things. So then, uh, but I think uh, in Occupy when uh, Occupy started, I think that was like another. It was it was kind of a bittersweet thing because another grouping wanted to wanted to go back to the Capitol to do stuff, and I just kind of begrudgingly said, "Yeah, that's nice." I'm like, "Where were you back in the day?" But. Um, Occupy was a a great point in history because it was when the white middle class got kicked off for the corporate ladder. It was great to have like a bunch of people just getting together and just uh, trying to shut down the system because the system wasn't working for them now. So, but it also, you know, it also helped uh, get people more involved. So Occupy eventually dissipated, but people, a chunk of people didn't stop. Uh, fighting for a better world. So that was, that's
0: nice. So during Occupy here in Minnesota, did you get pictures like on those first days when it was the Hennepin County Government Center, People's Plaza, as it got renamed, like when that was packed with people?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, You know, it's kind of interesting because like it's great to have thousands of people, but then it's almost kind of hard to capture it too because there's just so many people. And then I'd have to, what, climb a light
0: pole. (laughs) (laughs) Yep.
1: (laughs) really get it um so you know it's 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 just great um what I like doing in protests is when people start marching I just stand right in the middle of the march as people are walking by and just tons of photos because then you just capture everything as it is
0: yeah that's awesome Mm -hmm. have have you ever had people tell you that oh I don't want you to take my photo or why are you taking photos here at protests or and how do you handle that
1: somewhat not not a lot I think uh, you know, I don't think I really have
0: not like other people
1: were, were talking about um, and I I'm like on one hand I want to take the photo because it's documenting it and I want it but then you just have to figure out like to do that or not. Uh, I suppose if people really, I have actually not taken photos of people. There's uh, one guy in a couple of protests where I, he definitely avoids the camera at all costs. So, and he never came up to me, but whenever I see him, I just make sure I don't have him in my, my lens view. So, you know, if people, resp- I mean, yeah, I think uh, I would actually just not take photos or do like the backs of them or something. So,
0: that's interesting, maybe because you've been part of the movement for so long and so many people know you that that <laughs> makes it so you don't get that reaction maybe. and Or at these really massive marches where most people have not been to protest before and they're kind of like they want to be seen there. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. I've been uh, around where someone would say, stop taking photos, you know, like generally speaking, because something's going on. So I do respect that. And even though I'm sad that I can't because I'm sure there are like great action photos, but I totally get it. So uh, and we don't want to uh, have our photos help the cops in any ways. Yeah. So when there was the trump people that came to the capitol I don't know, they're not nazis well kinda but the it was a couple of years ago but there were some really great action photos and i i, I took them but i didn't publish them so because uh there was a couple of items that should not be on the internet so. <laughs>
0: for sure <laughs> yeah are there any other ones were you weren't you in madison at the state capitol in 2011 when that got occupied Oh, yeah, that was just awesome. So um, It seems like you've kind of been any any hot spot <laughs>
1: there. I know it's like I was writing stuff down so I can remember. Uh, but, yeah, that I've been to a lot. The action in uh, Madison was really great. I mean, it was just because doing well for rights work and watching these Democrats in Madison actually uh, get a nerve and, like, leave the state and have this turmoil happen um, and other unions and other groupings. there just, I mean, it was just overrun with people inside and outside. So it was really great. And yeah, the teachers were there. And I remember the firefighters, uh, there was farmers there with their tractors. So it was just like a whole thing. And, you know, that's, that's what we want to see in our own state. And then uh, when I actually, I was still in welfare rights at the time, because I was at the Capitol, talked to one of the progressive politicians. And I asked hey, can you do what you, what happened in Madison? And he just kind of said, ah, we really can't do that because of the rules. Like, they can still call a quorum. So, but, you know, it's like, just do something to cause some havoc. But
0: Exactly. Why do you think it's important to still bring your camera to protests, you know, when so many people there are taking photos on their phones? And yeah, why is it important to you?
1: Uh, to me, because I'm a purist. <laughs> All right. Uh, cameras are, I mean, Technology. Well, I guess there's some phones that might actually have better technology, but mainly the technology of cameras, you can do more versatile things with it because I I always grew up with a camera. Maybe that could be. And I know my phone isn't the greatest, so I know I couldn't take really great photos. But yeah, uh, mainly just because you can take better pictures.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So aside from protest photography, what other kinds of photography do you like to do? I made a note saying movement shots.
1: Haha, uh-huh. so <laughs> play on words there, so movement shots are always fun, uh, rather people marching um, or what I really enjoy is uh, having uh, an event or something to do where I have to like be five steps ahead of whatever I'm taking a, pho- a photograph of. Kids are great at that because not only will they not s- uh, stand in a spot for you for any, too, any longer, so you have to like run ahead set mm-hmm. up shot, and then have them come to you and take some photos and then hope that you got something. Uh, but they're also the, like the joyous ones because they just have natural reactions. And uh, even the crying, upset reactions are true. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I've also, as you know, we both grew up in the punk sh- scene too. And that's got a movement to it. Bands and then people slam dancing. So I got some cool photos, whether I was planning to or not. Because I'm not a techie person when it comes to a camera. I'm more visual and I see a good shot and I take it. So I have taken some photography classes and it's a lot of physics and math to it, if you really want to dive into it. But more, this, well, everything's so automatic too, so it's not too hard to get good photos but for the manual cameras i actually had to think a little bit more so uh, you can get really some cool shots whether you intend to or not Um, so i like things that move and also in like nature things that fly yeah i don't know what the fascination of it but i think it's just when you capture it you can see so many
0: layers to it yeah and see details that you can't see when it's just happening yeah Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. yep and also i really like contrasty photos new and old buildings together when I was in New York either for a visit or something it's just a great architectural city to take photos in yeah totally. and and like when when fall was still here there was some winter that came so there was the bright leaves uh, trying to come up from the snow so it's stuff like that and uh, the other types of photography I like are taking pictures of people
0: yeah
1: especially like the face the eyes the eyes another corny statement they're the what the windows to the soul or something yeah Uh, and also when generations like stand together because then you can see how generations look and even the familiar or the similar views and just the contrast of old and new
0: so like grandparents and parents and kids oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yep So I'm, I was trying to remember if you took photos at that show that we were both at at the Triple Rock with MDC when they played. Did you take photos there? I don't think I did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's my favorite, one of my favorite punk bands. And and I also know the people in
1: the band, which makes it even funner. So uh, I always bring my camera to
0: those shows. Awesome. So you started out doing photos like in the '80s. So I assume you started out doing film photography. Did you develop the film yourself? You you talked a little bit about that already, but yeah. How did you do that back then? Well, it was uh, Photomart. (laughs) Photomart. (laughs) Or Photomart. (laughs) Um,
1: Yep. I mean, it was all film back then, uh, and of course, was it was mainly color. Um, I did do some black and whites uh, film. But mainly the colored, actually all of them, I really got them all developed at uh, stores and stuff. Um, in high school I was I did some photography. I think it was black and white, so I did do some developing at the school. It was on the yearbook staff as a photographer so oh, cool. I didn't access that. Um, but then as I was saying earlier that I went to a film photography kind of co-op. Where they had all the chemicals because the chemicals are either expensive or they're uh, toxic. And I didn't really have arc room. So that was really fun. Um, so I did do more black and white film and then going through my parents' stuff, I found like old black and white negatives of a bowling banquet. Um, so I developed those just because it was just fun to develop. So that's
0: really cool.
1: Yep. So fun, and I, my biggest dream is to have my own dark room and do black and white. I suppose I could try color, but I,
0: that's a whole other process. So, yeah, I never did developing color myself. I just did black and white. Mm-hmm. So, when did you switch to digital photography then? And like, what camera do you use?
1: What society
0: forced me to <laughs> drop the film?
1: <laughs> I still actually I. The cameras I used for film, like the Canon, it was like the shutter, the canvas shutter. So eventually half the shutter wasn't working and I would try to go get it fixed, but they said it's not worth it. So uh, I think I still have a film camera somewhere. I actually have my dad's film camera. Oh, cool. Um, But I mean, digital, it, it makes it easier. It's more instantaneous because if you were using film you'd have to go develop it right away and then you might have one good picture in a roll of 36 and there goes that yep. and then with uh, digital you can take like a bazillion photos and then you have to figure out which one's the best out of all of them so it's just it was easier um, more convenient and i still would go get them developed at a store so i
0: so yeah it's funny how film is <laughs> kind of cool again now you know everyone's getting back into film and Yep. I took some yep. film, a couple rolls of film recently, and had to take them to get to get them developed. And it was crazy expensive. I think it's probably more than it used to be, even. Mm-hmm. But uh definitely was a reminder to how much money it cost to be a photographer back in the day. Yep.
1: I still have a couple, of, I have one undeveloped role, and I, in my dad's camera, I still have a, a role that I need to develop. So I should get those done soon because then. Those
0: are years old, so who knows what's on that one. That's really fun. Yeah, to, mm-hmm. uh, like a surprise. <laughs> so how do you decide what protests or events you're going to take photos at?
1: Uh, mainly time, my schedule. Like with welfare rights, I have I have a second shift job, so that was really easy to go to. A lot of the stuff now, actually most of the stuff that happens during the evening. And
0: you're so, working in the
1: evenings. When, yep. So depending on what is happening... If it's a really big event, I'll try to get work off for that. But I think like the bigger events are more on weekends. So, um, yeah, it really depends on what's going on and how much time I can take away from
0: work. But it's not like you just take pictures only at protests about one issue. It seems like you're out whenever there's anything that's Mm -hmm. fighting for justice, right?
1: Yep. Well, yes. And then that reminds me, when I was in college, I went to a lot of marches on Washington. And of course, flexible schedule there. And then make plans to go. So, um, and those are really great uh, moments in history to document. Actually, there there was that great peace, great peace march. Thinking was it 97, 97, I believe, where people were marching for peace, and they marched through the cities, and they ended up. Actually, that was that was a different thing. I'm blurring two different events because I was still at Kent when there was like this great peace march in D.C. that I went to, and that's where I actually met Dave from uh, M.D.C. down there. Oh, wow. Yep, so that was, uh, those are big events to go to.
0: That's awesome, yeah. We're getting close to an hour, so we'll try to wrap it up soon, but is there anything else that you'd want to talk about that we didn't cover?
1: So uh, I know you're talking about, like, what kind of gear do I use. Like I said, I'm not a techie person. I started out with a Canon, and I went to Olympus. Why? Uh, Because it had features I liked. And uh, or things that, it, uh, that I would want to do to have it. And I, I think I also ask like experts to at the store, like which camera to get. So I can't say like if one camera is like best to use. Uh, I go more on like pixel count mm-hmm. and some pictures. And I think it's great to have good equipment. But if you don't have like a good eye to capture things, then it's pointless Uh, So that's where actually uh, taking some classes in photography and like how to use the one-third kind of thinking of framing a photo and other kind of techniques to use is always really good. So it's me not paying attention to like really technical stuff, but just being more of a person that has a good eye to it.
0: You just like the way the photos look with the camera you use, so you stick with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So then, uh, so now it's kind of funny when I pull up, even my Olympus, somebody said it's an ancient camera. And I'm like, that wasn't long ago. <laughs> that's
0: funny. Yeah, Olympus isn't as well known, I guess, as Canon or Nikon or yep. something yep. now. But... Well, they
1: also, I heard, well, I asked about it because you can use different brand uh, lenses into into Olympus. I don't know which ones. Oh, uh cool. at the moment. But so, yeah, something more versatile than just one brand that you can only buy the brand itself with all the attachments so I think that's what I was kind of looking for so
0: yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah so where can people find you and see some of your photos online
1: oh speaking of that that's a uh, uh, not being motivated to put photos together I'm really <laughs> bad at not having a website <laughs> but I, I did finally sign up for Instagram that I have to actually sit down and put my photos up. But if people are interested, I'm on Instagram uh, at KimDef65. It's K-I-M-D-E-F 65. I toy with the idea of actually doing a website for my photography. I might've done like the old like photo bucket, like website that I don't go to anymore, but uh, you can always find me on Facebook. And if you send me a message saying I'm not a a weirdo but i want to follow your photography actually, all my uh photos are public on facebook so you can definitely take a look at all that stuff too so something with the franco in the name defranco photos eventually i'll get something up there so check back later
0: <laughs> awesome Well, thanks so much for your time, and I had a really good time talking about all this stuff that both of us have been documenting stuff for a long time, and actually, the other day, I remember saying to you, like, you've been documenting and taking photos at protests longer than anybody I know, and have done it consistently (laughs) through the years, so it's really important, and I'm really happy to have been able to talk to you about it.
1: I'm really happy too, Brad. I'm really glad that you're doing this endeavor. It's really cool having uh, two items that you really like together, because taking photos and political stuff, too. Ooh, especially nowadays, it's more important to be out there to document uh, political activities, um, especially during the George Floyd uprising. Uh, I didn't out as much as I wanted to, um, but just do- at least having it documented for like years later is really important because this uh, that was Truly one of the historic moments in time, a hor- horrific, horrific historic importance, but um, something definitely documenting, which at times I feel a little weird documenting like personal political stuff, uh, but it's really important to do. So yeah. but I'm really glad you're doing this uh, podcast because I look forward to hearing other people that you're going to interview. I really enjoyed the first three that you had so far that I, um, so it was just It's a
0: great broadcast to have. Cool. All
1: right. Thanks so much.
0: You can support Red Lens Podcast by supporting my Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash photos S-I-G-A-L-P-H-O-T-O-S, and sign up for a small monthly donation. That will go a long way in helping sustain the podcast and my work as a political photographer. Thank you for checking out and supporting Red Lens Podcast.